Good morning. I will continue our study through the book of Acts today. You would turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 6. Lord willing, we will complete chapter 6 today and cover all of chapter 7. If you were here with us this morning as we were worshipping the Lord in the breaking of bread, the theme that the Lord picked, and I believe that the Lord does pick the themes for us, even though uh, He'll use a brother usually to uh, pick the theme for us, but the theme was about sinners and the fact that God loves sinners. By sinners, I mean people who fall short of the perfection of God. They don't meet God's standard of perfection. And yet, the amazing truth of the gospel is that God still loves them. And God still sent His Son to save them. And His Son saved them by the offering of Himself as a sacrifice for sins on the cross on Golgotha's hill. He was willing to suffer what I deserved for my sins. And by dying and paying for my sins and then rising from the dead afterward, he opened the way for me to go to heaven. I don't have to go to hell even though I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. He made it possible for me not to. And that's the gospel. That's the message that was being preached by the apostles in the book of Acts. And... Uh, as we uh, start in verse 8 of chapter 6, we'll see that's what Stephen is doing. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard from him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. But we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? Give me a minute as I'm pulling out my notes. But uh, as I said, Stephen was preaching the gospel. It doesn't say that specifically here. It does say that he was doing miracles, wonders, and signs. And God didn't just have people doing wonders and signs. It was always to support their preaching and their teaching. As these people were preaching the gospel, God was confirming that what they were saying was true by doing miracles. And we also see that he was preaching because of the type of opposition that he's receiving here. Okay, so he's preaching the gospel. Now, uh, we mentioned this before that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believes. Because of that, whenever somebody is preaching the gospel in power and with saying success, Satan always stands to oppose them in some means or another. We saw different attacks of Satan on the church who tried to submerge the gospel so that they stop preaching the gospel so that people will stop being saved. Well, the opposition this time, this time comes from the synagogue of the freedmen. In the past, it seems to have been mainly the, the high priest and the rulers of Israel. They had the issue because they began to see the church as a challenge to their authority. The church was growing bigger. The apostles seemed to be becoming more popular. They were performing miracles. And the Jewish leadership that was in opposition to them was beginning to feel threatened. And that's why they, they kept cracking down on the church. Well, this time it's different. The opposition comes from a synagogue. This was probably just one of the synagogues that existed in Jerusalem. And the synagogue was a place of teaching where the uh, rabbis or the Pharisees would teach the people the doctrines of the Jewish religion. So what we're seeing here, we will see persecution, which we've seen before, but we're really seeing a beginning of attack of false doctrine of the church. And right now it's coming very clearly from the outside. These are not people in the church standing up. These are people in the synagogue, across the street, if you would, standing up. But they're beginning to attack the doctrines of the Christian church. That's why the opposition is coming from the synagogue. Uh, it becomes, as, as we look at it, it seems that the main issues they had with the preaching of the gospel was the fact that it was uh, teaching against what they believed the law ta- taught, Moses taught in the law, and the fact that it seemed to take away the importance of the temple. Those were the two main issues that these uh, religious people had with the gospel. It seemed to... Uh, take away from the importance of keeping the law, and it seemed to take away from the importance of the temple. And we'll see, uh, so now Stephen, so they first they try to argue with Stephen. They, it says they arose to dispute him. So in some context, whether it was in the synagogue or elsewhere, these people are trying to use human reasoning to argue why the gospel, gospel must be false. And I have a friend, uh, Sean and I are trying to reach out to some uh, friends that we made and uh, they go to the Catholic Church and the man seemed to agree mainly with what we say about the gospel but his wife doesn't and the main thing that bothers her is she says well if people are saved from their sins by what Jesus did and not by keeping of the law well what stops them to believe in Jesus and then go out and sin it seems to her it doesn't make sense the fact that the gospel appears to give people the liberty to sin you know, to her it doesn't make sense and she uses it as an argument against the gospel. Okay? So people will, will find faults in the gospel and they'll argue against them. Well, uh, that didn't work. God gave Stephen an ability of articulating the truth in the gospel in a way that these people were just made to look ridiculous by trying to challenge Stephen. It was clear that they were the ones that were not making sense. They were the ones who didn't understand what God was saying. So now they're going to tactic number two, which we discussed before, which is persecution. Okay, well, if we can't argue and show that he's false, well, let's get rid of the guy. And uh, it says that they set up false witnesses. People started to, uh, they, they paid somebody off to say, this guy, this Stephen, he blasphemes against God and against Moses. And they stir up the leadership. The leadership comes and arrests Stephen and they put him on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, 
this is what you might call legalized murder. Okay, if Stephen is found guilty, which has every reason to think he'll be found guilty because those witnesses are saying he blasphemed God, the judges are already biased against the Christians. They will happily, you know, when given one person's word against another person's word, they're going to take what they like. But these people are careful. They don't just go out and kill him. They try to make it legalized. No, this person deserves to die. We're going to kill him in a way that's actually consistent with the law. Now, God is actually going to take that opportunity from them Stephen is going to start preaching to them and they get so angry with him at the end that they just lynch him. So they actually will not, it won't even be, look like a fair trial by the time it ends. God will make it clear that that wasn't what was happening here. But that's what they were trying to do. They were basically trying to kill him in a legalized manner. And yet to, to make it look legal, the high priest says, oh, these things so. He's giving Stephen an opportunity to defend himself. Let's read on. Uh, chapter 7, verse 2. And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would sojourn in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them four hundred years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. Okay, well, uh, give me a second while I'm organizing my notes. So an opportunity, an opportunity to defend himself has come to Stephen. He's given a chance to say something. And Jesus actually told the apostles that this will happen. They'll have opportunity to testify in occasions like this. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle in your heart not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So this was Jesus' words to his apostles. First of all, he told them this was going to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens. Second of all, he says, I don't want you to plan what you're going to say because I'm going to tell you what to say when that happens. So that's confidence for us. Even though Stephen is speaking here, it's really coming from God. God is the one that's speaking. And, and third, he says it will be an opportunity for testimony. It's going to be another chance to tell people about the gospel. So he, what he's telling Stephen, I don't want you to focus on how you're going to get yourself out of it. What, what I'm going to be speaking through you is I'm going to be preaching the gospel to these people. 
And it seems strange. Here is Stephen. He's, he's in danger of death. In fact, he will be killed. He's going to be the first martyr of the Christian church. Yet what God is concerned about is the salvation of the people that are persecuting him. Stephen is going to die. He's going to suffer for a limited period of time. Then he's going to go to heaven. Everybody there in the, in the court are standing our judges. They're, they're feeling pretty comfortable. They're doing pretty good in this world. This, these are the rulers of Israel. When they're going to die, they're going to go to hell and suffer for all of eternity. When God is judging these two things, he's considering their case to be more crucial or important than Stephen. Because he's not, Stephen's going to suffer and he's going to be rewarded for his suffering. These people are going to suffer for eternity and they'll never be rewarded for it. So that's, that's what's on God's mind. And Stephen faithfully is, is passing on that word. What God is giving him to say, that's what he's saying to them. He's concerned about them. Now, it seems almost uh, surprising that, and this is by far the longest sermon in the book of Acts, that Stephen seems to very patiently be going through familiar stories in the Old Testament. Most of which, probably just about everything here, they already know. These are religious leaders in Israel. He's, he's talking about very basic things that happened with Abraham, with Joseph, with Moses. These shouldn't be new things to them. And yet, he's going to be bringing out of their history these things that they need to realize that they're not considering. Okay? And there's, there's mainly three things that, that I see him bringing in this long sermon going into the Old Testament. One, it is showing God's love for the nation of Israel, his faithfulness to them. He's wanting them to come to him and have a relationship with him. Okay? Number two, is showing them the fact that they don't have the same mind of God. They're fighting against God. They're not really right with God. These are people who think they're right with God. And he's going to show them from history, look, that's not the case. You guys are not right with God. And number three, he's going to be speaking about the, some of these issues that are these false teachings that they're using to put the gospel away. They have their arguments against the gospel. And he's going to show them that these arguments are false from the scripture. Okay? Now, we're not going to have a lot of time. If, if you're looking at chapter 7, you'll notice that's a fairly long chapter and I only have so many more minutes to be preaching through it. We're not going to be able to go into every detail. So we're just going to try to take out some of the main thoughts that, that obviously he's trying to bring out to them. Remember, they know the details. There's, there's just certain things he's, he's putting there for them to get out and, and, and learn from as he's, as he's preaching the gospel to them. Okay, in this first section that we read, it talks about Abraham and God calling Abraham out of uh, Mesopotamia. It actually talks about Mesopotamia, Haran, the land of the children. He keeps talking about what he brought Abraham out of. And, and this is really God's first evidence of love or faithfulness to the nation of Israel. He called them out to have a relationship with himself. Okay, they're, right now they're, they're the ones without uh, God in this world. They're worshipping idols. God actually says very specifically in the scripture, Abraham and his parents were idol worshippers. God had to call them out of that into a relationship with himself. And uh, we don't appreciate a lot of time in this world what it means to have a relationship with God. There's a phrase that, that repeats in the scriptures that, that speaks to me of it. It's actually, we can find... We can find uh, one occurrence of it, an occurrence of it, and I'll refer to two others. Uh, in John chapter 7, 
And uh, I'll, ju- I'll just read it. Verse 37 and 38. It says, on, th- on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it's that phrase, living water, that occurs repeatedly in the Bible. Uh, another occurrence of it, if you remember Jesus, when he was preaching to, uh, or talking with the woman at the well, he was a Samaritan woman, and he asked her for a drink, and, and there was some discussion there, and he tells her, if you knew the gift of God, and he who says to you, give me a drink, you will ask of him, and he will give you living water. If you knew the gift of God, the gift of God is living water. There's one more occurrence of it I, I can think of in the Old Testament, and that's when God is pleading against the nation of Israel in the book of Jeremiah. He's telling them, look, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And uh, if you think of, of what water is, usually we don't think about it too much because as soon as we feel any kind of thirst, I can go to my sink and I open the, the faucet and I get some water and I can drink it and then I'm not thirsty anymore. So I, I never have to really get very thirsty before I'm already quenching it. It didn't used to be like this in the old world. You didn't have running water in your house, especially not you know, high quality drinking water. You had to probably go to a well and draw water out of it. And you may have been living or walking in areas that didn't even have water and you just had to be thirsty and hold on to your thirst until you had a chance to quench it later on. And that's the state, sta- the state of mankind. Uh, in this world, I was talking with it, about it with my wife this week, we have, uh, the world keeps trying to give us something that makes us happy and satisfied. There's so many forms of entertainment out there that you can tap into. Everybody has their favorite thing. We see people today a lot of time just walking with, with uh, earphones connected to their iPod. And they just get a continuous feed of music or something that you know, is somehow satisfying them. Well, a lot of the things, and, and people could be using iPods to hear the word of God. So iPods in themselves, are not, there's nothing wrong with them. But the world keeps trying to feed us something that satisfies us. And yet it doesn't. And we, we walk to something else and we're trying to be satisfied with something else, some other form of, of entertainment or something. Some people... I, I have a co-worker and I've been uh, working with her on issues that she has with, with her work and she's frustrated, she, she's sad, her whole life is distraught because of things not going well at work for her. And it's just one more avenue. Some people try to get their satisfaction out of their work, their job. And all these things are going to disappoint us and God called the nation of Israel to have a relationship with himself and Jesus invites us to partake of this living water that he's talking about. He's talking about satisfaction. God will continue to satisfy you. God will never run out. It's living water. It continues to come out. It's not stale water. It's water that tastes good. God will continue to give you this satisfaction that you need. It was God's great blessing to the nation of Israel. He called them to himself to have this satisfying relationship, whereas the rest of the world didn't know it yet. Abraham was called out of that to have this relationship with God. Okay, uh, let's continue back to the book of Acts with the story of Joseph. And the patriarch, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, 
But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the son of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So here we have the story of Joseph. And again, I'm hoping most people are familiar with this story. Certainly the hearers of, of Stephen's message were very familiar. They have to repeat it every year. My wife knows we, every time we have a Passover with my family, they have to tell the story of Joseph again. Uh, well, actually, it's more about Moses delivering them, but Joseph is, is included in that. So they, they were familiar with it. Well, why is he bringing it? Well, it shows a couple of things. It shows the fact that... Uh, Israel wasn't following God's will for them. And you see it from the first verse here. It says, And the patriarch, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. So here's a man God is with. They take this person, they tie him up, and they sell him as a slave to a band of travelers who are going to take him to Egypt and sell him as a slave there. And all kinds of terrible things are going to happen to him. That's what they're doing with the person who God was with. Okay? It shows that they're not really together with God. Well, in spite of that fact, God takes this man, raised up from the dungeon in Egypt to become the governor of the whole land, and then a famine hits, so they're starving in the land of Canaan, and so Joseph just brings them over to Egypt, and because he has all the wealth of Egypt at his disposal, he feeds them. He takes care of them. Okay? It's a witness of God taking care of his people in spite of the fact that they weren't really doing his will. They were, they were going against him. Well, that's, that still happens today. And uh, we can actually hear it happening. If, if everybody's going to be quiet for a moment, and just listen. Anybody hear anything? Well, what you might have heard is that you were breathing, or that the person next to you was breathing. There's a verse in the book of Daniel where uh, the, the king of uh, Babylon was having his festival and doing wicked things with the vessels of the temple of God. And then a hand comes and writes on the wall, Menemene takel ufrazin, which literally means, you know, you've been weighed and, and founded wanting, and therefore you're going to be deposed from your power. Well, he couldn't read the Hebrew, so he, he called Daniel to find out what it said. And Daniel basically says this to him. Uh, he says, well, okay, let's turn there because I didn't write down the whole thing. I'll just turn there. Daniel 5.23. Starting verse 20, 22. But you, your son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, 
They have brought vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Well, here's God. He's holding his breath. He's the one who keeps us breathing from moment to moment. And this man is effectively blaspheming the name of God. And, and Dan explains to him, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be judged because of that. Well, the fact is we're all breathing all the time. It's something God is doing for us. Well, let me ask you, are you glorifying God all the time? Well, if not, then you're worthy of the same thing that Belshazzar was worthy, which was to be deposed and all the things that happened to him afterwards. It's God's grace. He continues to maintain us even while we're sinning against him. Okay? God continuously keeps us going. Okay? That's, that's the grace, the love of God. And that's what, what uh, Stephen was telling the nation of Israel, of course, bringing the example of what God did for them through Joseph. Verse 17. But when the time of promise drew near, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. But when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a sojourner in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought him out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Again, another very familiar story. 
This is definitely one they've been reciting uh, every year. And yet, Stephen is, is stressing a couple of points here. Uh, the first one, so the story briefly, for those who are not familiar with it, is the children of Israel were being oppro- oppressed in Egypt as slaves, and the Egyptians were literally making them kill their own babies. They, were, they had to put their babies outside, expose them to nature, to wild beasts, to the cold, to hunger, until their babies died. I mean, that's how bad it got. Well, God sends them a deliverer. The deliverer is going to be Moses. Well, uh, there's a problem. They don't want Moses. And they reject him. And it's something that, that is being stressed there, especially in verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So this was clearly the man God wanted to save them with. And they just rejected this man. And it's not, we have to, to recognize that it's not happiness. When people are rejecting someone that God has put in their lives in order to save them, it's not that they're just opposing that person. They're opposing God. Listen to what Jesus Jesus told the Jews about this. He said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Jesus said, If you guys really had it right with God, if you really had a relationship with him, you would love me, because I'm from God, and I'm telling you the things of God. But instead... They hated Jesus, they rejected Jesus, and they put, put Jesus to death. What does it show? They weren't right with God. So the fact that they're rejecting Moses the way that they reject him showed that they had a real issue with God. Okay? The second thing that's being stressed here, and, and it's not as obvious, took me a while to see it, is in the second half, God is really spending a lot of time dealing with Moses. And it actually, it's even more obvious when you go to the Old Testament and you see God dealing with Moses here, Moses did not want to go. He didn't want to go back and try to save them. And I can kind of appreciate Moses' position because you think about it, he was a prince of Egypt. He had all the treasures of Egypt. And yet, God put it into his heart to forsake all those treasures, all the good things the world had to offer him, and instead try to save these people. And he does it. He forsakes all these things to try to save them, and they basically say, we don't want you. Who made you ruler over us? Get lost. Okay, well, so Moses lives. And he doesn't want to come back. Okay, he, he basically had it with his people. Well, but God doesn't have it with the people. And it really shows that how much God goes for the sinner. Just this whole sin here of, of Stephen witnessing to these people who are going to kill him. And all he cares about is that they understand the gospel. That's the heart of God. He's trying to reach them. He sees how terrible their future is. And he's trying to get them to turn. And that's what Stephen is doing here. He's trying to wake them up to the reality. You guys need to turn. You guys need to come and be reconciled to God as he wants you to be. So God goes the extra mile. No one will be able to say at the end that they didn't have enough opportunity. God is going to give people every opportunity he can that they can possibly accept in order to come to him. He'll go the extra mile to bring people to himself. Okay, verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness 
with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Yes, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. This is is where uh, Stephen is beginning to refer a little more directly to the issues they were bringing against the gospel. And the issue that's brought here is the fact that they want to stay with the law of Moses. Okay, he was, he was telling them, well, the gospel, all you need to do is come to Jesus and believe in Jesus and he will save you from, from your sins. And they were like, no, Moses gave us the law. And that's not what the law says. Okay, well, first of all, Moses said this, the Lord, will, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Moses knew that God's revelation wasn't yet complete. Yes, mainly what Moses told the children of Israel about was the law, like the Ten Commandments and all the laws we see in the Old Testament. And the purpose of the law was to show people that they were sinners. We'll talk about that. But he realized there's something more. God revealed to him, God's going to raise somebody else. Well, you need to listen to him. When we, when we play, uh, uh, some of us come from uh, the chemistry fraternity in Berkeley, and they have a game that's called uh, Wyvern, where we run throughout the university and there's clues and you, you find the clue and you'll solve the clue and they'll tell you to go somewhere else. Well, when you get to that other place, guess what happens? There's another clue. That clue might send you in the opposite direction. In fact, there seems to have been this perverted pleasure in the people who made this, this uh, that would put the clues together every year to try to get us to crisscross the Berkeley campus. That's a big campus. That's about a mile aside. So you'd be running, you know, a mile this way and then a mile back, a mile this way. Well, God wasn't doing this to the children of Israel, but the point was, He gave them so much information in Moses, and then He pointed them. There's another, there's another teaching coming. Well, they need to listen to that teaching, even if it makes them go back. Okay. Um, Okay, well, the second half of it is really, to some extent, a summary of the Old Testament, saying, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. The Old Testament is really God's greatest proof of the sinfulness of the human heart. Uh, There's a couple of good verses in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 19, and 20. It's interesting, these words were written by somebody who was listening to the speech that Stephen was saying. We'll learn about later. But he says this, this is Paul, or God speaking through Paul, and he's saying this, saying this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, 
that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. God gave the law to us to realize that we're sinners. That's what this passage is saying. The problem is a lot of people like the doctrine of the law because they keep what they, they think they're keeping the law, and by keeping the law, they're earning a right standing before God. It can be a way of uh, pumping up your self-esteem. You, 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 you do these things, and the Pharisees were really good about it. They, the law of God said, you know, you have to tithe. You have to give a tenth of what you make to the Lord. And they had the, the, the bushes of herbs in the garden, and they would go and they would start counting each leaf. And every tenth one, they would take off and put a little bag in, give it to the Lord. And it made them feel really good about themselves. Boy, I'm really good in keeping the law. I mean, just look at the detail I'm going through. Maybe I'll take one extra leaf just in case. Because it was really a way of pumping themselves up and making themselves feel good about it. And that's why there's so many cults today. And, and really, it's, it's probably the teaching that, that goes most against the gospel is this idea of good works. If I do enough good things, I will get to heaven. Well, that was never God's intention in giving the law. Uh, listen to these words carefully. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. God took a, took a segment of the human population. He gave them every reason to obey the gospel, to obey the law. He gave them every opportunity to obey the law. And yet they failed miserably. And God did it as, as a scientist. You would take, uh, you would think of an experiment that will demonstrate a certain truth, and that was the experiment that God did for everybody to see, and it's recorded in the Old Testament. He took some people, gave them the law, they failed. The conclusion of a scientist is people are sinners; they can't keep the law, and that was the purpose. Okay, and and that's what continues as unto say in verse twenty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul's concluding by this, look, you can't be saved by keeping the law. That was never God's intention of giving the law. But by the law is the knowledge of sin. He just wants you to realize you're a sinner through the law. And then that sends you to Christ. It says that the law is a tutor to send us to Christ. Realize, boy, I'm a miserable sinner. And we talked about it today. The only thing you need to do to be saved is cry out from your heart, help me, the sinner. I can't stand before God. I'm not good enough. I'm a sin- I deserve to get sent to hell. Well, as soon as that cry comes from your heart, God saves you. That's, that's all he's been waiting for. He's been waiting for you to stop trying to save yourself and to trust in that one way he made to save you, which is Jesus. Remember we started at the beginning. Jesus died for your sins. He paid for them to create the way for you to be right with God. It's not through what you do. It's through what Jesus did. Okay, back to Acts. Continuing in verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, 
who found favor before God and asked him to find a dwelling for the house of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the God, the Most High, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? Well, this is the second area of false doctrine, if you would, that was being brought against the gospel. Remember, Jesus, uh, the, uh, Stephen was preaching, Stephen is the way to heaven. And the apostle, the, the Jewish religion, kept thinking, well, no, it's the temple. The temple is what assures us of God's favor. And he was probably telling them, no, that's not the way. People may have been walking to the temple with their sacrifices and offer sacrifices to sin, and Stephen is telling them, you guys got it all wrong. Jesus came. Jesus is really the way that you, you go to God, need to get to God. Okay? And he's pointing it here in a couple of ways. First of all, he stresses it's a tabernacle of witness. Okay? The tabernacle was never, never supposed to save anybody. It was supposed to witness to people of the way to God. Okay? Uh, God gave the nation of Israel through Moses the law. The law was convicting them of sin. And then he gave them the solution for it, which was the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, they were supposed to bring animals for sacrifice. And what really, the purpose of it was, it was to show the way to God. It was going to be through a substitute. You're a sinner. You deserve to die. Well, here's an innocent animal, a lamb. We're going to take it before the temple. We're going to cut its throat. It's going to shed its blood. It's going to die. And now, you as a sinner, you get to continue to live. Well, the purpose was to paint a picture of the way of salvation. The way of salvation is, well, I'm a sinner, but Jesus is righteous. He is innocent. He never performed any sin. God takes my sins off myself. He places them on Jesus, who was innocent. Jesus is the lamb that dies. He's the one who, so to speak, has his throat cut. His blood is shed. and his, So he's the one who dies. I get to live. That's God's way of salvation. Through the substitute. Jesus died. He is the sin bearer. I am the sinner. I get to go free. I am saved through what God did through Jesus. So that was the purpose of the tabernacle. It was to show them the way to God. It wasn't to save them. The temple wasn't there to save them. It was to show them the way of salvation. And they were confused by it. There's uh, an important passage uh, about it, actually, in Jeremiah, just to show the way they were feeling about it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. I, I can just read it uh, to you. Starting in verse 1. The word, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying Words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And then he, he talks about their sin and the fact that the temple isn't going to save them from their sins. And uh, I'll go ahead and jump to verse 12. God points this out to them. But go now to my place, which was at Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness 
of my people, Israel. Well, the temple that they were at the time trusting in, well, here's the temple of God, so we've got to be safe because we're in the temple. And God tell them, go look to what I did to Shiloh. That's where the temple used to be. Okay? I don't look at the temple the way you guys do. And again, the Jews of, of, of Stephen's day, the temple was the thing they were trusting to make sure that they're somehow going to be right with God, even if maybe they're sinners or somehow less than perfect. And God, Stephen is telling them, look, God doesn't look at the temple the way you guys do. He said, what house did you build to me? This is nothing to me. I've destroyed this place before. I'm going to destroy it again. He doesn't provide any safety. And people today will usually have something they're hanging to as a source of, of safety. A lot of people say, well, I go to church every Sunday, so i got to be okay. I had an old neighbor that uh, uh, we've been trying to witness to in some ways, and his big thing, well, my brother is a priest, so I'm safe. Well, there's a lot of human superstition, a lot of things that we think somehow guarantee that we're going to go to heaven. And Stephen is trying to pull it out of the hand. Look, you don't have it. Whatever it is you're trusting in, it's false. Jesus is the only way. Back to Acts. Well, we'll see a transition here in verse 51. And it's not immediate, it's not, it's not obvious from what's written what causes this transition. It's most likely that Stephen either recognized that they were, were not going to let him keep going with this, this uh, sermon of his. So he was preaching the gospel to them. And he might have been able to see, see by the restlessness that they were about to shut him off and not let him speak anymore. Or it could be that he saw they were just hardened. They weren't really listening to what he said. And he's trying to penetrate. And this is, what this is what he says. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You feel the force of those words? He's trying to reach them. He's trying, whatever shell they're trying to put up and, and somehow protect themselves, he's trying to penetrate and show them, you are sinners. And the reason he's doing it is because of what Jesus said. I have come not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Unless you recognize that you're a sinner, you'll have no interest in the things of God. Jesus is going to parade his salvation before you all day and all night, and yeah, I'm okay. I don't really need that. Well, Stephen is trying to penetrate and show them, you're not okay. You need it. Well, uh, they, don't, they don't like what, uh, what Stephen is telling them. Uh, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of God, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they said to him, Out of the city, they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then, they, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Well, uh, we see here their response. So again, uh, the Hollywood version of this, they all repent of their sins and believe the gospel after he preaches this message. The real world, they didn't. And uh, instead, they just got angry with him. And we'll see here, they lynched him. They got so angry, they couldn't even finish the trial. They rushed at him and, and threw him out and, and, and murdered him. This, this wasn't a trial at this point. Well, I was, I was uh, thinking about this. Actually, I was going to share this acronym that hopefully I written down here so I won't forget. But uh, yes, it's actually something I heard uh, Daryl once mention. When you go through the scripture, uh, maybe in your, in your uh, uh, devotional in the morning, there's uh, this acronym that you can use to help you get more material out of the passage. And the acronym is SPECS. I don't know how many people here heard it. I'm sure a lot of people because somebody else here told it to me. SPECS, it stands for this. When you go through the passage of the scripture, you can, you can look for these things. Uh, S, sin to avoid. P, promises to keep. E, examples to follow or to uh, avoid. What? Examples to follow or escape, okay? Good. Uh, or C, commands to obey. And S is special thoughts about God. Well, this is definitely an example to avoid or an example to escape uh, of what they're doing. So the gospel is preached at them, and maybe you're here, and you haven't yet received the Lord Jesus. And uh, when somebody tells you you're a sinner, you're probably not happy to hear about it, and you might get angry and want to do to them the same thing that these people do to Stephen. I remember from uh, the, the testimony of, of Michael when, when I told him that he was a sinner and deserved to die for his sins, he, he later told me that he wanted to punch me in the face, which is fairly common. Why do people get so angry when you tell them about their sins? Well, they, they, as I was thinking about it, one of the thoughts that came to me is self-esteem. People in this world really strive to get self-esteem. They want to think of themselves as valuable, as, as having something that's worthy. And I believe it goes all the way back to the lie of Satan, when Satan in the garden told them, uh, if you will eat of this tree that God told you not to eat, you will become like gods yourselves. There was something to pursue. There was something that they wanted to gain out of it, a certain... Uh, value. They would become as gods themselves. And people are the same way today. And, and the message of the gospel is, you know, you're a helpless sinner. There isn't any intrinsic worth of yourself. God made you. Okay? So you're not of your own. Okay? He can take you away at any point. Just like he created you, he can make you disappear. And second of all, you're a sinner. Okay? You haven't done with the life that God has given you, you haven't done anything that that really makes you a value to God. Because you're, that's the truth of the gospel. In and of yourself, you're just a creature that was created by a creator, and you're a sinner. You haven't done anything to the creator that really makes you worth anything to him. Okay, I mean, that's, that's the bad news of the gospel. Now, the good news of the gospel, God loves you. You have a value to God. 
okay? But in yourself, you don't have a value. And, and people resist that. They, they try, keep trying to cling, no, I have this value. They, they go through this world trying to get some esteem and importance to themselves. And the gospel, they look at it as basically cutting at it. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of people that are saved have first gone through some deep trial that make them realize that they're not as strong, not as powerful as they thought they were. God had to first somehow cut away some of this feeling that, that they were so great and wonderful before they were able to receive the gospel. And these people still had it. They were holding on to their power and their self-value. And therefore, because they weren't willing to let God penetrate and show them that they were basically worthless, they just got angry. They were fighting against the gospel. That's why people get angry. The right response is what we mentioned already, is realizing it's true. You know, I am a creature made by God. I've sinned against him. There's absolutely no reason why he shouldn't throw me to hell, and therefore I need help. God, save me. I mean, that would be the right. And that's all that God is looking for. I mean, there's, there's, uh, we talked about it again this morning. There's the, the sacrifices of God are a contrite heart and a broken spirit. These you will not despise. Anyone who is at that stage, God doesn't dis- that's, to God, that's the thing of true value. When a person reaches the, the state of having a, 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 a broken spirit uh, or a broken heart and realizing, boy, in myself, I am nothing. That's when God can pick that person up and make something out of him. And we talked about it before, the fountain of living water. You'll never get as much satisfaction and joy as God has in store for you. You're trying to get it your own way. Let it go. Let God give you the fountain of living water. That's where you're going to find real value and satisfaction. Well, uh, just some last words here about... Uh, well, actually, one more thing about them. So, Stephen says this last word. He says, I see the Son of Man. Well, first of all, God gives him a vision to encourage him. He shows him Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Okay, He was able to look into heaven and see that. And he just shares this with them. Look, I see. I see Jesus, the one I've been preaching to you, standing at the right hand of God. And they rush at him. And it's interesting how they do it. They scream, ah, and they stick their finger in their ears. I don't know if you've ever seen little kids do that. But that's what they're actually doing. These grown men, these leaders of Israel, are acting in a way. And I think God allows them to act in a way to just really show what they're doing. They've just become completely unwilling to listen to the gospel anymore. And... The terrible thing about it is this is the last time it happens. In the last few weeks, we've seen three separate times the apostles were brought before them. The apostles preached the gospel to them, and they let them go. And the second time, they, they, they get the, the apostles. They put them on trial. The apostles preached the gospel to them. They let them go. This is the third time they, capture, they take Stephen. Stephen preaches the gospel to them, and now they're sticking their fingers in their ears and saying, Ah. Oh, this is the last time it ever happens. God never speaks to them again. So this is something you don't want to do. You never seal God away. When, when you tell God, I don't want to hear it anymore, God might just confirm what you've asked for. You'll never hear from God again, which means your doom is sealed. People use the phrase, the walking dead. There's no way. They can't get to heaven anymore. God has given up on them because they completely close themselves up to him. Don't, don't let that happen to you. Well, so a closing words about Stephen. Stephen is encouraged here with uh, the vision that the Lord has given him. He is taken out and he is being stoned. 
And look at this testimony. Talking about faith in the Lord. As he's being stoned, he, he, he calls on the Lord and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There was only one thing Stephen was trusting in to get to heaven. And that was the Lord Jesus. He's not appealing to his good works. Lord, remember all the good things that I have done. Uh, he's not appealing to his Jewish heritage or anything. There's just one thing that keeps him going. Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust in you to the end. And that's been the cry of many martyrs over the years. He's the first one that suffered to the death for the Lord Jesus. But he just continued to reach the Lord in faith throughout that experience. Second thing, his testimony, is at the very end he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And he's not just saying it. He means it. He's been preached. He loves these people that are killing him. His greatest desire is to see these people saved and go to heaven. And so, as, as they're continuing to doing bad to him, they're literally killing him. The stones are hitting him. The stones that are killing him. And his one thing, he's praying to God, Lord, forgive them this sin. And the same thing Jesus did. He was on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he was being killed, his one desire was for them to be saved. And that's the strongest testimony you, you can uh, give of the Lord, is that when you are suffering, perhaps in particular in a case like this, some people suffer in other ways, through disease. I think of uh, Carolina Alonzo, and, and just the faith that she exhibited in her last weeks. First of all, a great faith in the Lord, just a desire to please the Lord. And second is love to others. She kept ministering to others in her last day. That's one, the one thing... That's the strongest testimony you can give for God. When you're suffering and being dying, the one, you're trusting the Lord to the end and you're loving other people to the end. The strongest testimony you can give. And we don't quite see it here. It, just, it, it was just a foreshadowing here. There was fruit to this testimony. And the foreshadow is in verse 58, the very end of it. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. People know who Saul was? He became the Apostle Paul. So here was somebody seeing Stephen's last great testimony, and, and Paul refers to it later on. This is something that stuck with, with Paul to the end of his day, is this testimony of Stephen. And you never know when you're tes- testifying of the Lord in, in some way or another, who is listening and who is going to be rich and what the fruit is. But the Lord says that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. He will use it, just like he used it here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for your love toward us. Thank you for the invitation of the Lord Jesus. For anyone who thirsts to come to him and drink, and that whoever believes in him, to him, out out of his heart will come forth rivers of living water. Lord, we think if there's anybody here who hasn't yet taken that step of uh, recognizing that they're thirsty, that they need God, and coming to Jesus and believing in him, Lord, we pray that you move in that uh, person's heart to seek and find that wonderful treasure that you have for them. And for the rest of us, Lord, as we see the testimony of your faithful servant, Stephen, and his love for the lost, and testimony to the end, give us that love to the lost and testimony even to the end of our life of witnessing for you and seeing the fruit that you can bring forth thereby. In Jesus' name.